Hi, Blacker. Hi, Harley. Hello, everybody listening. Hi, guys. Welcome back to Thunder and Salt, the weekly food podcast about the magic of eating. Why are you burning holes in my head? Because you like to interrupt my intro and I just have to keep an eye on you. So she's got a special guest in the room. I don't need to That's our best behavior. Oh, okay. <laughs> this, this week of all weeks. So today we are joined by a very special guest and we're joined by this guest for a number of reasons. One being that there is a new cookbook out in which she is the director and head of food development, executive <laughs> chef, curator of... Yeah, just keep them coming. Just keep yes. people all the titles. Take all of the titles. <laughs> and also because it is World Vegan Month. We've spoken about some vegan stuff on this podcast before. Malak yeah. has had an opinion or two. Just a couple. Just a couple. So Sarah is here to set the record straight. Oh, so it could get like spicy. Could get spicy. Yeah, yeah, I feel me. It could get spicy. <laughs> Um, and that is why we have our special guest here, Sarah. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm now slightly worried that I'm an ambassador for vegan food. No, 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 no pressure. No pressure now. Sarah is a chef and recipe developer with over 26 years of experience. Currently, the food and creative director at Mildred's. For those of you that don't know, we've got a wide audience around the world. Mildred's is an iconic plant-based restaurant group. Opened in the heart of London, Soho in 1988 with a mission to be cool, casual, without any meat. 100% plant-based all day, every day. In September 2023, they published their third cookbook, which is Mildred's Easy Vegan. Brought to life by Sarah alongside senior food development chef Alexandra. And it brings together an incredible collection of more than 100 recipes, each one accessible, delicious and above all easy. Yes. Like everything. Yeah. yeah, that's very good. That was way better than anything I could have done, honestly. <laughs> My first experience of Mildred's, I think, is the one that's kind of by the tape. So, um, is it like Southwark or um? And I went to the one in King's Cross a few times. Up. The one that oh yeah that's right from my office yeah yeah to be my Mildred been there a couple of times and I've spoken on a podcast about my various phases of diets in my life yeah and at one point we were a vegan household and it was like oh where can we go and at that point I'm talking like I don't know ten years ago there weren't many places that that I could sit down in the style of the, the restaurant was like unique I guess to yeah to vegan food now we've got a bit of everything but what well, how did you end up at Mildred's? So I was I was a student at the Royal Academy when I started at Mildred's and I just wanted a chefing job because I always worked the whole way through art school. So yeah. I just needed money for materials and stuff like that. And um, I just walked past Mildred's in Soho and it was such a cool little place. And I didn't actually know it was vegan or vegetarian or whatever when I went in. Yeah. But um, I went to talk to the head chef there, Jilly, and she was like, so are you vegetarian? I'm like, well, Amber, why are you asking me? Because I don't know. And she was like, oh, yeah, because we're a vegetarian restaurant. Because the whole vibe at Mildred's was to not be, like, not have, like, an agenda. Just be, like, a cute little restaurant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just have, like, um, like a nice vibe and kind of cool stuff. And not be, like, pushy anything. Exactly. You know? yeah. like, and I think we've kept to that. Even though, you know, obviously it's a very different thing now. We've got, like five restaurants for millions and we've got a system brand now called Mallow so it's like it's massively expanded but I think we tried to like hold on to that bit of just like let's make it a great restaurant let's be happy with all the food mm-hmm. like we don't put anything on that's just like Box oh this is a good this okay. is good for a vegan thing right, right? yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. A good thing yeah. <laughs> uh, that's what I liked about them just when I went there it wasn't like this is the best we can do with vegan yeah exactly lunch like these are good Dishes, dishes and they are plant-based dishes exactly so you want to have a good meal but you don't want to have meat on this occasion i can go here and i can just relax and eat something that feels familiar but doesn't feel like i invite vegan mm-hmm. it was just really nice yeah i think that was a big thing for me was that i i think i did like tofu but i think in my head i was told that i didn't like tofu because it was flavorless and it was all these type of things. no like i like tofu now but i just think when when i was like young teen and your impression that you you get your opinions from other people's opinions and i just thought that i didn't like tofu so i think the things that i like about mildred's or my experience with mildred's is that everything's not tofu there was a period of time when vegan food was just tofu yeah like <laughs> it was just tofu things yeah tofu things yeah. <laughs> like, everything was just that and 
I'm, that's one thing I think stands out about Mojo's that makes sense in terms of what the actual goal of the restaurant yeah it's like it, all that food that like you know it feels like you're doing your homework like mm-hmm. oh I'm gonna get through this yeah and it's doing me like it's, it's giving me like I don't know my fiber and it's it's not like you're not eating for fun you're just yeah. eating because it's like really go pay the vegetarian I was vegan for a long period I've been vegetarian I went vegetarian when I was a teenager and I think mostly to be fair it was because most of the people I hung out with were vegetarians I think it was like a little bit of like I want to fit in with these people like I really liked I was never a vegetarian that like didn't like me you okay know what I mean like like my daughter's vegan and she has been since she was five and she can't stand the smell of meat really? she can't be around it right she was always allergic to dairy so like for her it's like different. She's got mm. no palate for it. We go into a place that smells like meat, she gets like stressed out. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think there's like lots of different kinds of ways that people get to that place. Yeah. But now I'm actually like, you know, I'm quite flexy. Okay. I kind of eat all sorts of stuff. And I find it's like a bit of a weird one talking about your food choices because it's so kind of wrapped up in all of your life choices. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It becomes quite a loaded topic. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I don't eat beef and I just never have. Like, my parents don't eat, my dad doesn't eat red meat, so I just, like, don't eat beef. My mom just didn't raise me eating beef. But I'm the same whereby I can smell beef. Mm-hmm. Like, in particular, I can smell beef, but not in a way that's going to make me be like, oh, you can't eat that. Like, oh, oh, it's awful. Mm-hmm. But I can smell it. And then I think as well, when you say that you don't eat a particular food group, you kind of get a question back and it's like, Oh, like, are you Hindu? Is yeah. That... No, no, I just, I just, just it's my childhood, actually. Do you want to, do you want to go into that? Yeah, should we just delve into that? <laughs> go into my, my childhood and why I don't eat what I eat and what that's attached to, so. I'm like that with milk. I can't, because I don't drink milk and I haven't for years. And if someone tries to give me a coffee, like, and it's got real milk. Real in it, yeah. I can smell it a mile off and they'll be like, no, 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 I use soy, like. You know what? I've had those things as well. I think one time I didn't realize that the Starbucks eggnog latte, so I ordered it with oat milk, mm. but the eggnog mix itself is milk. I remember you said I told you this, yeah. And I thought I was really. This shit has told you that. This was like a couple years ago. I probably pre Natasha. That is dangerous. That is dangerous, right? But then I guess they don't ask every person, like, is this an allergy or a choice? But yeah, it does open up a can of worms when you have an opinion about one thing and. Then you, I don't know, make a vegan cookbook or whatever. It's like the food police. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also like kind of, I don't know. It's like, I know that like I'm morally kind of weak in some areas. Oh, I'm worried about that, yeah. yeah. It's like, I might do these things. It doesn't mean I advocate for them. Yeah. Like, I'm just not a very strong person. So would you like to explain as plant-based or vegan? Because we have this conversation sometimes about what does veganism actually mean? It's a lifestyle, it's an it's an ethos it extends beyond just like what people eat and you get that split between people saying oh i'm i not necessarily vegan but i'm plant-based is that something that or like when you were plant-based obviously before oh yeah you know well i don't know i think it's like one of those labels that doesn't mean a lot to me anymore because we've been we were plant-based we've been vegan for a while vegan had like a very i think an overtone that got a lot of people's backs up for some reason like people had a very negative reaction to it on the other side of it and so people use plant-based things a lot to just kind of soften yeah that um but to me like i don't really try to use like food labels much anymore because it's a bit like for me it's a bit like diet culture mm. like you get into this thing of like where you're judging yourself or you you're putting so many restrictions on yourself mm. that comes like you can't enjoy anything <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i mean were you just typical nightmare family like we've got like seven different fr- milks in our fridge <laughs> we've got like we've got the alternatives and the not alternatives yeah. like we've got like in our house we've got like vegans vegetarians we're just a nightmare so it's like i don't even want to like i'd say i just try and make good choices and sometimes like yeah and sometimes i don't and i try not to get down yes. to myself about it yeah <laughs> yeah i guess and having a varied diet throughout your life and guess not being plant-based for like the entirety of your life but that hard line it's probably helped you be a developmental chef, like to be able to know, oh, okay, I don't eat that thing anymore, but I remember that that thing has this kind of labor profile and then mm. people who are trying to come to try this restaurant might want a flavor that's a little bit like bacon or a little bit like this or a little bit like that, that 
even though you don't eat anymore, you can you can lean into your experiences that you've had because you had a well-rounded food food journey for for your whole life. Mm. Is that what does it take to be a developmental chef? I started working in hospitality when I was sixteen, and I started at Whole Foods. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I worked, um, I worked in various like little hippie kind of places where you like grind your hemp seeds and you like you know make like tofu brownies and stuff like that and then but i did work in uh like a gastro pub award-winning gastro pub and i had to do like roast fish prep okay butchery and i was i was vegetarian at the time as you said like growing up in you know i'm in a very kind of english like traditional kind of lots of things household me and it, veg. yeah <laughs> and it didn't really freak me out or anything but i have done that side of it as well but i went quite quickly back to working yeah i didn't but enjoy it really okay. so but that actually was quite a good place to work from a development perspective because that place was like fresh produce every day what came in was what came in right. we only used like um it was very sustainable and you had to write the menu twice a day uh, okay. So you literally had to write. This is not a. This is gone from like years ago. By this, it was like a gastro pub in Richmond. But the chef there, he had a very kind of use everything mentality, like mm-hmm. no waste. So you know, the veg supplier would just drop stuff off, and you'd yeah. be like, okay, cool, we have eighteen kilos of black cherries, or we have set that needs using by this evening, and you had to just crack on and come up with something. So that was good. I mean, I got used to. We lost a lot of chefs because most people were just like just couldn't handle it. Yeah, and um, that was quite a good way to get into it. them fire, just like you exactly. develop recipes on the spot. Now that's just what you yeah, are. yeah. That's got incredible. people coming in in three hours. Yeah, you could ask. And when you were working in that environment, were you working on like pastry or just like just generally? So I started station? as a. As a kitchen porter so okay. i started washing dishes from the bottom of making chips and went to sous chef in about i think it was less than six months wow um but it was a small team yeah. and that's the good thing about working in a little team you can kind of claw your way up because every time someone mm-hmm. quits and you've got to jump on their section you can just keep jumping on sections until someone's yeah, yeah. like you know what? i'm going home you're running this yeah. <laughs> This is giving me um, nostalgia of that first episode with the bear that came out a couple of weeks ago. Oh, the series. Because that first episode, I'll spoil it for anyone. Spoiler alert. The guy gets fired that day. Like, it's like, (laughs) he leaves that. No, he quits that day. It's too much. And the other guy is just messing around in the kitchen to the point that he should get fired. But he doesn't get fired because now there's an empty station. And they need him. And they need him. Yeah. But it's like... They just actually needed him. So that's interesting that that's how you're Yeah, that show sure is like massively triggering for me. Like, you know, I should say, I just say, find the, the watch, it drives anxiety, but they enjoy it. But then I, wow, I can really, I can, it's a massive, like I remember you yeah. and the situation like that. Society is real. Yeah. Is. Yeah. And I keep that as a show. So it's very extent. Like, I, I think what they've done very well is they have recreated that kind of anxiety. Yeah. Of like, the adrenaline and drive but what for me like my husband loves it he's never worked in hospitality like right. he's he's done like nice office jobs he thinks it's really yeah. fun but for me i feel like where they've got all the pressure they're missing something that is the joy and right. the camaraderie and the taking the piss out of each other and okay and the kind of the thing that's like if you don't have that why would you do this job mm-hmm. it's yeah. insane like we work so hard we like if you didn't have that mm-hmm. why would you show up every day and that's the bit that's the really good stuff and that's the bit you miss when you're not in a kitchen yeah. just like you've got your crew and like everyone's pulling together yeah and like that's like the joy yeah. of it, right whereas they always seem to be fighting with each other yeah they absolutely are that's interesting though we haven't i don't think we've spoken to another chef on the podcast since that's been on tv the the rewrite or the the sequel i guess no so you're the first person to share that now now we're gonna ask everybody and be like <laughs> yeah <laughs> there should be like the first questions yeah how would i just start in yeah. yeah so back to your experience in the kitchen then or just your experience and as a chef like what is food development it's different in every business so there's like for some places like it's you basically just 
do nice cook-offs and you hand it over to the team and you go, oh, I made this, it's really nice and this is what I think we should put on the menu. What I do is more, there's more of an umbrella over a lot of the creative areas of business. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's like, I mean, I'll do everything from, okay, we're going to sit here and figure out what the next menu looks like and design the menu to like, what does it physically look like? What does the branding look like? Okay. What is like, what what kind of visual story are we trying to tell mm-hmm. with like the way we brand Mildred's for example, versus Mallow. Uh, then, I mean, I'll do everything from like sitting with graphic designers to interior designers to being like rolling my sleeves up and cooking food for the Dolson Supper Clubs or, you know, we do, my job's like quite insane. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Give me a Yeah, like I don't have two days that look like each other, and then, and a lot of it comes from like, I think well, we were talking like about having like a little bit of a kind of ADHD personality. Like I can't sort, I struggle to stop. So if I get an idea, like, hey, you know what? Like November looks a bit thin. Let's write another cookbook. <laughs> That's like, <laughs> okay. like, and then I'll just be like, okay, I want to do that now. And like, luckily, I've got a really great team of people in Mildred's that let me sort of run with it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and someone is ready. Yeah. But hang on a second, Sarah. Everyone's really tired, Sarah. Isn't that great? idea then, Sam, of this this book? Well, so Sam, that he's my managing director, who I got on with really well. He he wanted to do a third cook long time mm-hmm. and um and the cookbooks for me are like interesting because they sort of tell the story of the business a little bit uh-huh so the first one's vegetarian is when we were still a vegetarian restaurant the second one was very like sort of represents the way the food in the restaurant was at the time but we'd never really written a cookbook that was for home cooking like specifically like yeah. what are you realistically gonna make at home mm-hmm. you're not gonna that's the point. I want to be in there yeah. like hours, right? Yeah. And I don't want to be like if I'm cooking all day at work. Yeah, I want something I can knock out really quick. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a good. But I've got so many cookbooks. We're building a, a library, yeah, for us. And there's some people I school the time. Like, do you cook from them? And I'm like, some of them know. I will never cook them yeah. because I'm not buying those ingredients. I just, I just love the recipes. I like to read it. I love to just like, peruse the pages. But I get your point about like creating a cookbook that is actually functional. Yeah. And people can actually utilize because some of them are lovely, but you're just not, you're not cooking from that. Yeah. And it's like, sometimes like, I want, I want to be eating in 10 minutes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and it's kind of like, like, this is like, like, I want something tasty that I can just throw together. And that's very much what we were trying to do with this book. I think as well, there was a lot of an emphasis on like how you cook for family. Yeah. Cooking being it. Cause like, obviously that's a big thing in my household. You know, we need meals that are, that are kind of fun and vibrant and that everyone can enjoy yeah. aren't too kind of challenging i'm lucky my kids are quite up they fry everything yeah yeah and my daughter will be like oh i really want some kimchi but like she's eight so i mean i'm really lucky on that but but equally like yeah they want so they'll be like oh we want tacos mm-hmm. so i came up there's this spread a taco spread in there and it's like i can do the whole thing with like two pounds and just the drum bit of that you know those like hand blends oh yeah, 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 yeah i can do like all of the like the salsa the avocado the sour dice all in that, that without having to wash it in between yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like yeah. so i can go start to finish like six dishes in less than half an hour yeah. and then yeah you want to be at the table when you're home you don't want to be stuck in the kitchen so for me, that was like a big thing with this book of just like something that's actually really practical and fun and shows people like what a huge range of food you can eat when you're vegan. I mean, that's the great thing about working for Mildred's because we've got an international menu we can pull from all those. Yeah. That's interesting about what you said. Yes, we kind of cook books, but we also go into restaurants based on branding. So to know that the person who's like, actually deciding the food also you can kind of tell when the whole experience has been really well thought out exactly down to like the menu we have an episode called and um, also restaurant experience we talk about from like the second that we walk into a restaurant like how the maitre d treats you like what the colors are all those kind of things that you've basically spoken about i just wouldn't have expected that to be your job or like i would never say that to be a part of your job you know like you hear 
like food development or recipe development or anything like that and it's just like oh okay yeah, just here, yeah, yeah, kind of thing. So, yeah, that was interesting, and I'm, I'm actually glad that you showed that. And even when I think about the episode that we did on flavor and talking about like what goes into flavor and the whole experience and the visuals, I can see how you build a such an iconic brand, and you're able to maintain that longevity when you're thinking about how does the what are the visuals to bring the menu to life? Like, how did we really get this in the customers? mind like just really immerse them in the entire experience which i think is really cool i think there has to be some consistency as well like in in the plating and something like i can i can look at something now and be like yeah that really feels like a mildew's dish or like i mean color is a big part of what we do with the food like we we consider that really carefully in in the plating and the style of the plating everything that has to be kind of vibrant and not too fussy and feel really generous and like feel like a nice kind of you know like full experience yeah, like, exactly. yeah. as consumers of many restaurants we definitely appreciate <laughs> we appreciate when that's done i think as well with something like plant-based cuisine where i don't know i think it's one of the ones or maybe to me it feels like it is that you walk in with expectations of kind of nitpicking of yeah. it's not gonna be as good as like the meat restaurants it's not gonna be as good as the other place i went to so it's like those parts of potential to detail that really help the food land in front of someone and be like plant-based food is just as good as like mm-hmm. anything else or not just food but coming to a plant-based restaurant is as elevated an experience as you would get in any other exactly. restaurant or restaurant training so yeah yeah it's a win for us is like and it happens because we're in central london we get a lot of tourists and yeah. The win for us is when someone comes and eats and they even realize they've been plant-based. Right? Yeah. And that, that happens. That's what happens to me. I love that. That's why I've mm-hmm. got the Tate. And so it must have been the one at London Bridge. It's like the, I must have walked to the one at London Bridge, but just by chance. Like, just a day by myself. And I'm just going to a restaurant. I don't know. I probably, I probably got caught in by the brand. This was years ago. But I probably just was like, oh, never been here. Five-star food hygiene rating. <laughs> one of the things we do check. And they were like, oh, here I am. So you, you said that you're... Wildred has pretty much been like most of your culinary experience journey. Well, we did notice that you've got a degree in the, in the fine arts. And I think I had read online, or I think it might actually be in the book, that when you um, were studying your degree, that's when you joined Mildred. So how do you bring that kind of fine? Do you, is that something that you still think about? Are you still into art? And do you bring that into the work that you're doing daily, especially as creative director how did they kind of bring those those two passions and fit yeah i used to feel like kind of guilty that i'd done like nine years of art school and used any of it and that was like i used to feel kind of bad about it and now i realize i use it all the time it's like a huge part of the way that i work and apart from the obvious like you know having an an interest and and a passion for kind of how things are presented and color and composition on a plate and things like that a part of that i think the thing that art school gives you is a really kind of thick skin so when i was at goldsmiths like you had to present your work so you'd work on something for months right and then you have to stand up you put your work on the wall or on the television projector whatever you do and everyone just rips you to shreds you're yes. not allowed to say anything <laughs> you have to just stand there and like everyone's got to talk about your work and interpret it. So you're not allowed to tell them anything about it. Right. You just have to, you have to stand there and just take it. Mm-hmm. And, like, and like after like a few years of doing it, you realize that the people that get really defensive and angry after that is like, ultimately, you're not convincing anyone by doing that. You're just, you're just making yourself look foolish because actually what you really need to be doing is listening to that feedback and, and taking yeah. the feedback. And you know, chefs, like we're not, known <laughs> to be good at taking feedback right i mean otherwise we'd be fine of house like if you were able to put a face on and just and take criticism like the cliche is like throwing pans across the room but ultimately it's the same thing it's like i don't ask chefs to taste my food i'll always give it to the people front of house and if right. no one says yeah that is delicious and it doesn't go on the menu because ultimately it's not something you can argue about it either tastes good or it doesn't and you could have worked on that plate for, you know, three weeks. It could be really well researched. It could be a really clever idea. You could be, you know, whatever. If it doesn't taste good, then we should have cooked something and it just haven't landed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like plenty of time. Yeah. And also, like, because I have to present, like, 
are investors. So sometimes we will have gone through like three or four of these tasting sessions first, and then we'll give it to them and they'll be like, nah. I'm not talking about to look after them. But it's it's good. I mean, it's good. It's a good discipline to have that thing of like, I'm not going to talk anyone into liking something they don't like. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Every sort of person has taste. Yeah. And that can be a thing. Like, but ultimately, if it's not good, it's not good. And there's no point having a conversation about it. Just go back in and fix it. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, what art school gave me that a lot of chefs maybe don't have. And it was going to be really tough about it. Yeah. But, but the thing I like about working in the kitchen versus art school is like being an artist can be quite lonely. Like you spend a lot of time on the road, mm -hmm. you spend a lot of time sitting in the studio mm -hmm. and like the kitchen's the opposite of that. You're never, right? Like you always go and you get to ask other people, you get to work with other people, you get to collaborate, you get people to check stuff and that's, that's the good thing. Yeah. So that's why I didn't miss it. Yeah. So it's all your kind of new experience pretty much on the job. You didn't like go to a school for it or anything like that. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. But I guess when you've got that artistic roots, I can see how you can live in the kitchen and in that kind of, kind of new environment quite quickly because it is quite artistic to be able to yeah put a plate together that is visually appealing and also tastes good on the tongue. Yeah, then why nice like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, all the guys that I work with, like, I like Alessandra, who I wrote the book with, she's like, she can do that whole thing where she's like sitting there, she's talking to you, and yeah. she's like, oh. and like having a conversation, she's not looking, and like the whole time, like, you turn around, she's like, Julian, like 20 carrots, and oh, she has, and she, and like, and I'm just like, yeah, well, I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm actually jealous. Like, my mum can do the thing, or I've definitely seen her do the thing where you can be slicing the onion, like the backlog thing. Well, no, but in, just in general, like, you know, when you start to cry about it, yeah, yeah. like, she can just finish it. Like, you yeah, should just keep going. Yeah. Like, you should do the backlog thing, but like, finish the onion. And I'm like, I'm like, if I can't see the onion and the knife, I can't cut this thing. Like, there's no, there's no, like, I, I feel like I'm. I could have good nice skills if I gave up the long nails. Or I yeah, give them up. I don't know my like true potential, <laughs> but in my mind, I've decided that I'm. I've got good life. No, that's a good compromise. Yeah. Like yeah, I probably do. I just yeah, I've got the best I can have. Yeah. I, I have no excuse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's another thing. I think there's something. So there's our backgrounds. Probably cut this out, but there's our backgrounds. I have a similar experience. I went to University of the Arts, but I do video. So that we call it a viva where you basically present your work. It's still for something, but yeah, you present something and just be ripped apart. But at that point, you'll get ripped apart for like your narrative choice because you've been given a film and it's like, make a film. You're like, okay. And then you make a rom-com out of it and somebody else makes like, Marley Chavnik. Like, and then, then you're like, oh, I haven't have done that with it. So I completely resonate with that kind of, that level of feedback that you get for something. But then, do you find sometimes that you look for it? So say for example, when I was baking, so I had a home bakery business for a while. Um, again, a skill that you can use your creative skills in. Something using your hands, not a screen. Like, like I said, it's it's part of it's kind of isolating part, but it's not. But I, would, I think my, my education background would be, oh, this is amazing. I'd be like, but which part? Like, yeah, the crumb, does it the Like, yeah. like did you get did you get time? Like, did you get time? <laughs> <laughs> what, what exactly is it you like? So when you say that you test in front of the house, potentially, or family, friends, whatever, do you find that people are just like, yeah, it's amazing. And you're just like, uh, I've got people that I go to for stuff like yeah good feedback is really enduring and not like oh that's great like what are you supposed to do with it yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like specifically like is it you know is it hitting that spot and and I have like people in the team that I know are really ruthless okay. and they don't care what I think right like so for example like uh like I've got this chef that I've worked with for a long time Aga um, who works with me in Dalston and I worked with her years ago like in other places she was my boss oh. when I met her so she trained me uh, in this place called Math um, in Primrose Hill and so if I go to Aga and I'm like what do you think about this you think this is done and she's like nah looks terrible like oh, yeah. it's like <laughs> okay. yeah you got where we got like some that are delicate amazing and some that are not I guess it depends on how you feel as well because sometimes I've worked on something for really like just I don't know it could even be an order like someone else's birthday cake and I'm like I'm not showing you because you might nitpick 
I'm going to show you. You yeah. don't want to tell me it's amazing. <laughs> Sometimes I get to the ego. Frankly, the ego. Yeah, and I wore it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it was yeah. depending on what you're doing. So that's that's interesting that they were, it's a fine art degree that gave you, or oh, that you feel like that gave you that edge Ooh. in a world where, in or in a kitchen where people just come in and they just get it, I guess. Like, well, the thing is, like, no one, is, none of your customers are going to hold back, right? I mean, no one that has come in and paid for a meal, like, is going to hold back if they're not happy with what they got. True. And the first thing we do every morning is like open up our emails and read all of the complaints from an absolute. And like that, just you have to be resilient to that. Not you know, at the end of the day, you got to make sure every plate goes out right. And and that's where it's a funny old joke because you never done, you know, it's never finished. Every day that you service, yeah. So like you have to be kind of resilient to that. So if someone, I'd I'd rather hear the feedback before it goes. I mean, it's it's not that, yeah, because <laughs> no one's holding back on the internet, right? Like, no one cares what you feel about anything. So it's like it's better to just get it. Yeah, get those wrong feedback before you put it on the menu. Yeah, I think we spoke it on. I'm not sure which episode. I confuse conversations that we just had in life versus conversations I had on the podcast. So we spoke about reviews and giving feedback and stuff. But we always try and like speak to the person in the restaurant, like at the moment, mm. rather than trying to like blast them online or like yeah write them through how afterwards because we do respect the work that goes into that one arancini that exactly. they hit the table and like the development the probable arguments in the kitchen the <laughs> supply chain issues you know the somebody was sick today all that kind of stuff so for our listeners if you if you have feedback to give to restaurants yeah try and try, try and bear it in line yeah yeah try and be on yeah. yeah or at least privately like if you're saying you're your emails that's still like a nice way that your feedback can be constructive rather than just like i want a refund or i'm not paying a service charge or, uh, definitely there are people like you who wait sitting there being like i can handle this should i make changes <laughs> do it least be done it's very little about easy vegan why you've written it how it will help feed your family food that you actually want to eat why is it easy vegan? Does that come from a conception that being or becoming vegan is hard and inconvenient? Yes. I think that's the short answer. Yeah, I think that people, when they think about vegan food, they make it too complicated. They stress out too much. And I kind of want one of the things that we really wanted for this book is like, so if you're not a vegan household and you've got a vegan kind for, for a meal, like or you know you've got a vegan christmas dinner or something like that and you're panicking like we want this to just be to make it really clear that it doesn't have to be a big stressful thing in the end especially now there's so many great products available like there's so many and there's so many things that just naturally are vegan that are delicious like we always try and come over at the from the perspective of like there's a whole amazing world of food out there and like there's so many choices and like you don't have to like we could write thousands of cookbooks with all of the recipes that we've used i mean we write thousands of recipes a year and and this is just like our pick of the ones that are, like we feel like are best for working at home but like um yeah we just want people to see it as a joyful thing instead of as a kind of restriction and um, and i don't think it's ever been it's never been as easy as it is now to be vegan especially in london because we are so lucky to, you know, we can get everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can, so I work in Dalston and like, I can pop down really road, can go to like spice shops, can go like, even like the Tesco's up and buy like jackfruit or whatever, you know, yeah. it's like, it's so much easier than it ever has been in the past. So I think we want people to see it as like a kind of fun, approachable thing that doesn't have to like stress you out. Like you can't like, a vegan cheesecake in 15 minutes and it will taste really nice yeah. and it yeah. will be fine <laughs> <laughs> it's not gonna be like it doesn't have to be all kind of yeah so specialty yeah. yeah in my household where all the vegan books were quite every recipe was like one specialty ingredient like yeah. 10 yeah <laughs> who's got 10 yeah. like in the area i lived in was yeah pretty just an urban area where we didn't have a whole foods or a planet organic mm-hmm. or those kind of shops that you get more in central than it yeah it was was one yeah 
when we were looking through the book and like, looking at the recipes, we both commented on how it was broken down, like the fact that you've got that brunch, sharing lights, comfort, mm-hmm. loud pleasers, gluten-free recipes section, which you like to me because I'm, I'm not a see that, but I am supposed to be gluten-free. Uh, but we were saying that the structure of the book is reading that it even actually makes it easy to apply some of the recipes or to think about when I want to cook, what cookbook will I go for? I can draw for this book because I know that it's broken down in a way that I can think, okay, I've got brunch. Let me just get some brunch recipes. No, which is... I think when you're, you're trying to change your diet or just make a lifestyle change, you kind of do like tit for tat. Mm. So it's a good like context to look at and be like, oh, okay, first of all, I'm going to trade out brunch. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to trade out brunch options. And then another another couple of weeks time, I'm going to start trading out dinner options or whatever. So the structure of the book is definitely good for people who just want to make choices for a one-off. Like I just want to make sure I'm eating, you know, more plant-based food once a week. I'm going to trade out one dinner and one thing. And I think that's one thing I noticed about the book and other vegan cookbooks whereby because all the recipes are so veg heavy, I would definitely recommend someone who's trying to like eat vegan food, get vegan cookbooks. Or else you end up like following a, be- a vegetable recipe from another cookbook and it ends up just being a side. Exactly. Mm. <laughs> yeah. like, you end up having made charred broccoli. Yeah. <laughs> you end up having like, one of the things like we had was like how do you fill up a table mm-hmm. and have it look really nice like how do you fill up a plate and yeah. have it look really nice not just yeah because otherwise it's a lot of sides soup yeah. and sides and pasta yeah. and, and like and it's like we all know risotto can be vegetarian exactly. we get to what are your what we did I can't remember the episode why we ended up talking about vegan food. I think it might have been our guilty pleasures or controversial opinion. Controversial opinion. Yeah. So Malaka's controversial opinion. Which... I like that question. Yeah, yeah. we're gonna get to that for you. Yeah. Malaka's on that particular episode. One of them was that um, like not all food should be veganized. Like not all things should be veganized. And we had a little we had a look back and forth because she was like vegan duck, and I said I've had mm-hmm. vegan duck actually, quite enjoyed it. So my, my thing is, yeah, school me to reasons. I like plant-based vegan food that to me centers on just celebrating the ingredients and making a nice meal out of the ingredients that are at the hand. I'm not, I'm, and I have to spend time in my life where I've been pescatarian, vegetarian, vegan. And so if I feel that there's too much like meat replacement, I mean, it just, I think it can very quickly, with the wrong people take away from like, what you can actually really enjoy veganism and I think I and I can and in the McCartney I'll be honest I yeah I want it yeah. good but there's just so much more that that you can do and there's like there's a whole host of ingredients and I think you can get similar textures similar flavors but for me it's never going to be duck mm. and so it could be but then I understand for some people it's about relatability and I get that so my opinion hasn't changed much, but I, I am empathetic to the fact that different people decide to go vegan or vegetarian for different reasons. As though how you communicate with them is really important. And for some people, feeling like they're getting a like for like, even for them, I just think it shouldn't be the center focus of how vegan vegetarian food is, is cooked or promoted. Because I think it can just get a little bit... You just leave out so much when all you're going to do is replace it for me. Like, like, yeah. Well, I think you hit on something really interesting. I think it's something that really is quite a big subject in the vegan world at the moment. And we get lots of feedback from vegans that don't want to see any meat replacement. Many, like, that's a regular thing. We get complaints that we even have those meat replacements. But like you said, it's like people choose to be vegan for a lot of different reasons. And if you're choosing to be vegan, purely say, for you, it's purely the ethics of like, I just do not want to consume animals anymore. But you like the food and you miss it. And like equally like the same way that like we can all be like, oh, I'm going to make like a really nice like stir fry and I'm going to have some brown rice and I'm going to make like a really good healthy choice. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes you're going to, if you've grown up eating meat and you're going to really want yeah. like, that flavor or right? chicken or something yeah, yeah, yeah. like if you will not eat it then i think those mute replacements you know are useful for some people mm-hmm. but like um i think it helps in that transitional period but i think one of the reasons we're getting more feedback now from people that they don't want to see it is you've got people who aren't as new to the vegan you know maybe they feel vegan for like mm-hmm. 
a long time and then they probably got over that phase and mm-hmm. they just want to eat fatigue yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i don't want to eat like you know satan or yeah pea protein yeah. whatever you know like and we all know it's like it's very processed and but it's like everyone you know sometimes yeah you wake up especially you like you've had a big night the night before and you just want to be i'll fry like, up yeah, yeah exactly yeah. Like, what are you gonna do like it's something familiar so you've got to plug that particular gap and yeah, yeah i think that's where the substitutes are good um and to be honest, like for us, like if we're converting food that's very heavily European, it can be tricky to remove meat. I mean, uh-huh. it's much easier, obviously, if you're working with like cuisine from around the world where meat is much less of a focus, mm-hmm. or if it's only just like a component of, of a dish, then it's it's much easier. But with like English, French, it's very like meat first and everything yeah. else just supports that. Um, even American to some extent um, Spanish I find as well like one of my good friends is Muslim and even just navigating around chorizo yeah like they think is seasoning yeah <laughs> <laughs> like it's just a bit of bacon yeah <laughs> it's not meat it's bacon <laughs> yeah. like, it's not meat it's chorizo like other things but yeah I, I can see why trying to forward you kind of get past or convert into do you convert to veganism? <laughs> Introduce me. I think some people do. <laughs> <Brenny, laughs> some people is like their whole life or whole life. So, yeah, yeah. Why meat replacements are still like up there and stuff like that. Do you feel funny about it? Is like I think it's actually legislation at this point that we can't call milk milk. Like you can't call oat milk milk or like it's a drink. Yeah, it's like oat yeah, drink. Or like drink. cheese cheese. Cause I used to really like um <laughs> Chicken. This isn't chicken. This isn't chicken, or this is yeah. That brand, this. Yeah, yeah. I noticed over years I've kind of changed their things. So it used to say like this isn't, and then bacon lardons, which I think they get away with it because of the play on their brand yeah. name. Yeah. But I noticed, yeah, recently everything oat drink, oat flavored drink, pea drink. I think it might be. I think it's legislation, but these. <laughs> what, what do you think? What do you think? How do you feel? I just like, oh, come on, come on, guys! Like you, you got your market. Just like you know, no one's getting like, confused. Yeah, exactly. Like I don't think anyone was like, oh my little taste like soybeans. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it came from a different area, supermarket. Like yeah. I'm making that mistake. I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's like it's funny because vegans have this reputation for being like really like intense and like you know, <laughs> like. But I, I, to be honest, like I find most vegans I know are pretty chill, and like the a lot of them really hardcore, like really aggressive people are come from the other side of like they're so against people Be- being able yeah. to those choices that like they become really hardlined, and that's the bit that's just like, oh guys, just relax. Yeah, you you have your thing, we'll have our thing. Yeah, and, like, just calm down about it. Yeah, it's mostly confused about the milk. Yeah. <laughs> We well, know it's really cheap. Yeah. Like you know, we're not mixed up. That's interesting. I like I like that because the question I'd written down was what do you think about non plant plant based cousins basically so I know Beyond Beat got a big a big push at one point. Um and then I think was it them or someone else that made like Kim Kardashian the ambassador? Then oh, yeah. she did that video where she like was like <laughs> But she's not a vegetarian. She says she's plant based. Oh, but yeah, she follows a plant based diet. But um, yeah, they made her for some reason the ambassador of their product. For that reason, for the reach, <laughs> for the yeah, for the reach, yeah, for the reach. I guess it's a marketing campaign, but it is very much like. Then <laughs> she just wait and the camera. Turn the camera off. I think she was holding half of a burger and then been cut in half, but her half was flat. <laughs> So there was no bite, bite mark in it. Yeah. But I know there are some, yeah, some brands that have um got quite famous for being meat replacements, which I think is kind of positive. You're trying to make the transition, find familiarity, as you said, but still make better choices. Mm. If you think that that's a better choice. Yeah, sure. And the thing, you know, yeah. Is that what I'm saying? About any favorite products that you have at home, sausages that I shouldn't buy in the design. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think the piss sausages are the most kind of mm-hmm. the most like a proper banger. Yeah, really. Okay, I've uh, tried those. I love the bacon. They're bacon lardons. Really? Yeah, I've got a real thing for the 
plant cream that's made with lentils, which is like if you buy the supermarket one, it's actually the only cream. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually it's like lentil based, which is weird. Weird, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it works really, really well. Oh, eat it once. Yeah. Oh, okay. And so that I really like. Um, because yeah, because my daughter can't eat dairy, so I like a bit of cream. Yeah, I miss that. So yeah, that's good. What are your like go-to vegan like core essentials in the kitchen? Like in my head, Malaga bullies me all the time. She's like, I love a legume. Something in a tin. It's a, I love a tin of legume. Legume in a tin. I I I eat. I wouldn't say mostly plant-based at home, but because I live by myself, it's not cost-efficient to buy a lot of meat. So mm. my meals are not necessarily vegan because I'll lock up the butter and I'll like yeah. put yeah bacon like, like bits in and stuff like that. But they are not like they're very chickpea heavy. Yes, mm. put it that way. What is your like reach for? I can make dinner out of this in the household that is going to be nutritious, delicious, and plant-based or vegan. Well, that's a good question mine straight away is really like if you're going to do a lot of plant-based cooking at home you have to have a really good spice rack and like you can't i mean that's sort of usually the starting point is like oh i feel like i need to you know i want to make i don't know or something like that like my spice rack is bonkers (laughs) it's like it's literally like seven shelves yeah and like and I think, and like having a fridge full of like fresh curry leaves or or like lime leaves and no. things like that. Like if you don't have those base flavors sorted when you're when you're cooking vegan food, like I think that's where you fall into the territory of not just just not being quite satisfying okay. that flavor. And and I always find that that's like my go-to is like, okay, what spice range am I in today? Am I doing like kind of smoke paprika and cumin and remind more like am I going more kind of lemongrass and going kind of fresh like there'll be more like that whereas like um, yeah though I do uh, I like a thank you <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind them but I mean loves them like it might have to lack up yeah okay I like lentils Chickpeas, yeah, the lemon. I'm just, yeah, I'm particularly heavy about them. And you know, you go to the supermarket sometimes and you're just like, you just pick things up. Like, I I often go to with some of my friends that have looked to me and I'll just have my basket and I'll just be like, yeah, one chickpeas, one kidney beans, one black beans. And I'm like, yeah, one kidney beans. And it's like, oh, what are you making? It's like, no, this is this is food. It's just yeah, it's just like in case I get hungry or there's an apocalypse or something. Like and to, oh, and one um, tomato puree, like because it's all in the same aisle. Like all yeah. the tomatoes are next to all the tin beans. Yeah, and chickpeas, black beans, kidney beans, tomato puree, and an onion. That's it. I'm good. I'm good because uh, because correct to what you're saying. I've got one hell of a spice rack. We got yes, this. and my exactly. food is okra, okra and spinach. I'm good. Yeah. Like have a freezer with like yeah, opera. like I like the baby family like that. Yeah, like type the really small ones and like having a well stocked freezer mm-hmm. is definitely like edamame. They usually keep seaweed in there. Like then you've got all the you can just anything everything yeah. together quickly. Well, like is a big freezer, freezer yeah. ambassador, yeah. and like I just keep that my big freezer. So I need to be stuck it because I'm obviously kind of starting stuff in there, but. It's not getting turned over, it's not getting me. Yeah, but I do like to. So you got two, your two freezer situation, huh? It's a legacy diva. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to use it for just meat. Yeah. I have, to have the meat separate because I, I don't like when they're like ice in the freezer and it gets flavor of the freezer. So I yeah, yeah. meat in one freezer and then like my sorbets and my other fun bits on the inside of it. My freezer is shocking. At the moment, it's like, I feel like. Yeah, I I try and we have an episode as well about um food hygiene at home, and we were discussing like the fridge layouts and meat on the bottom, and we were saying that, but fridges for some reason you want to put your meat at the bottom because that's what's better, but then they put the veg drawer underneath it, Mm. so then in my freezer I put the meat at the bottom because obviously when I put it in there it's not frozen, it still could leak, like something could happen, but then. By the time it's frozen, I'm like, oh, you're frozen. Like, you go to the top drawer, you go to the bottom drawer, ice cream there. Da, 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 da. And yeah, the freezer is now just like a mishmash of um, chips and ice packs and 
all kinds of things that probably need clearing out as well. So, so uh, we now <laughs> we've got all of the boring stuff out of the way, all of that unimportant questions. <laughs> what you really want to know <laughs> is what is your guilty food pleasure? What is that thing that you're eating in secret or in the open? Uh, but you love it and you know that you probably shouldn't be eating it when you're having a nibble and a bite. Yeah, this is like, I didn't have to think about this at all because everyone knows. Like, if I start eating this thing and something is like gone or I'm like, oh, like, yeah, everyone's like, <laughs> so if I start eating cheap white bread, it is cheap. <laughs> like, it is things had like catastrophic, like. <laughs> So I have like my guilty pleasure. What's in the bread? I'm it's not- like, like, like thick soft sandwich bread. But to be honest, I think it's like children's party, party food. Yeah. Like if I start eating that kind of thing, like if I'm really stressed out, I'm reading the kids' snack box. Like uh, I'm, I'm in there, I'm in there covering up. Like little Chris. Yeah. That's left party bags on birthdays <laughs> gone by. Party rings and dinosaur yeah. thick food. There's no ice. Ice jam, and it's like you know, there's like zero nutrition yeah. value in that food. It's not getting you anywhere. Is it a buy? Yeah, it's like pretty kind of soft, slightly sweet air. But yeah, if I'd even like that cheap birthday cake that you get when your mom does it, because in my house we were really foodie, right? So always, always good quality brown bread, quite often homemade, everything like. I was always the kid with the weird hand cuts and with you and the homemade jam like leaking out of the side and like everyone else was being like, you know, everyone else has got a one eighty white and packets of Chris. And I'm there with like, 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 I don't know if there was some like doorstep and some kind of like, homemade soup. A lot of soda bread and yeah. you it or <laughs> I was like trying to see if anyone would swap my organic cups after for their lining. You know, take home biscuit bar. And then, like, I was, I think I was 20 before I had a wagon reel. So, <laughs> so yeah, for me. Right, I understand. I understand I'm going to bleed for my childhood trauma over you, like, decent for you. <laughs> but, like, yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's me growing up not eating pork and they be able to have, like, scallops and cheese. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Every time yeah. I have a little bit, I'll be back. Is that type of thing? Because I eat pork. I've always eaten pork. But Malaki, for the first under season of the episode, shared that she doesn't eat pork. And then the last, like, I don't know, last season, I've been hearing, I'm getting yeah, the treats yeah. and bites and stuff. I said, oh, I thought you didn't eat pork. Hmm. Oh, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those to me are not always pork. I had my first pork chop this year. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> like it was just I just never processed that in my body before. Yeah. It was last the restriction <laughs> of your childhood. <laughs> the restrictions of your childhood are the things that have made you now, like the things that you enjoy. White bread, though, I think. So we have actually got to eat your feelings. So we've gone through different feelings of different food groups. I think white bread for me just comes with a hangover mm. because I'm similar to you, like brown bread household, nutrition first kind of thing. So even on a fry up day, whatever, still brown bread. Like even on a pack lunches, yeah, brown bread. But something about that hangover breakfast, and I need like that calf bread that's toasted, but they only butter the middle, yeah, like not toasted to the edge. And you know the kind of white bread that disintegrates, so you put your mouth like. That's a yeah. It's like on the root. Yeah. No, I like white bread toasted. Like it was warmer over. I think it is, and then a secret bit. Like ham and toasted. Why start eating that? Usually, I want to eat anything else. That'll be it. I'll be, really? I'll be like four meals a day. Only let's do that in crisps. Yeah, I can do it. On a bad, on a, my, my, the world is ending. It's crisps. But then the crisps in the white bread sandwich. Oh, that's really the sandwich. Yeah, that's, that's where you're getting to the really good. Wow. Now you know what to look out for. When you see one in a white bread. Yeah. White bread sandwich for the was really butter. White yeah. bread. Yeah. <laughs> the jam sandwich, the jam sandwich comes out. How many jam? Exactly. That's like three meals. Fun. I'm gonna stay now. I'll be constipated before I go to lunch. That might be bro. Yeah, it, it's it's not a good thing. Like I don't recommend it. <laughs> but it's like if it's really good, yeah. things go wrong. Yeah, but does, does it, it make you feel better or is it like a is it reactive eating? I don't think ever like I don't think eating your food genuinely makes you feel better. 
but yeah. like those like I don't know, it's all comforting. Yeah. And it's sort of like Do you recognize it? Are you like, oh, I'm having this bad day. I want white bread. Or do you just find yourself eating white bread and then you're like, oh my gosh, there's white bread in my hand. That means I'm having a bad day. Yeah, it does. If I can't stop myself from eating it. Yeah. Like, so, for, and it, it can be any kind of white bread. It's not necessarily that. It, like, it will be anything that we have to, like, brioche or, like, hard dough or any, any kind of, like, soft white bread. <laughs> if I can't resist it, I know my defenses are down. <laughs> like something's gone wrong here, guys. Like I need a minute. That's me and cheese. When I start wanting to eat cheese, like I don't really eat cheese, but like last night I had a pizza. Didn't feel the type of way about it. Had cheese in my omelet. Didn't feel the type of way about it. I should know. I should have known that I was high stress. My T cells. Something's disintegrating. Yeah. I haven't worked out what it is yet. Once I do, I'm gonna know I've been eating that cheese. Food, though, isn't it? Even the sound is quite like. Yeah, but then yeah, yeah, that, that, that cheese, that cheese. There are cheese like yesterday. I had a dream last night that we could discuss off air, and I was like, right, not eating yeah. dreamy. Gosh, gosh. What's your favorite utensil? Ooh, that's a good one. Or like thing like at home, or maybe in the kitchen. But I have a spoon. Mm. My spoon. My spoon. <laughs> You have a bowl, no, Eddie. I have a bowl. I said my brother put it in the dishwasher for five days, and I'm like, so we were good at it. I want to say, I can't enjoy my food the same. But it's a one that I just killed me. Yeah. Do you have a thing? Well, I, I do have a spoon that, like, and it's funny because I've got, like, all the utensils in the world, like, my kitchen's yeah. really stupid. Um, but I have, like, that one spoon mm-hmm. that I always use. Yeah, it's like it's perfect. Um, but yeah, I mean, the other thing I think it's a bit of a weird one, but I I mean, like my mandolin at home. I think because like if I want to just knock something up quickly for the kids, like slow or stir party, like it's a real good time saver. I think because of my mediocre mindset. Okay, I think that's doing like a lot of the heavy lifting. So yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Mildred's easy vegan. I don't need recipes that I need particularly now you'd want people to definitely try whether they get the book out. Yeah, so I've got a few that I that have become real household favourites for us. So definitely like if you for probably like section wise, like if you want to do a really impressive quick brunch and really recommend like the Turkish brunch spread because it's like fairly <laughs> it's really yeah. just a case of like putting a bunch of stuff on the table but it looks really impressive and like we've got some good like harness packs as well like how to get like a regular tub of harness and like make it look really impressive really quickly what's our green one in there yeah, yeah. So it's like adaptation <laughs> okay. like stick it all in your burner and it'll make it look really good and I really like we had a jackfruit moment because I've never been a big jackfruit Person, I don't really get it. I didn't really like all those kind of mushy jackfruit burgers that thing in the like You're not kidding anyone that it doesn't taste like straight and pork. But like we we started working with it for doing like wraps and tacos and stuff like that and, and just sort of squeezing it and baking it on a sheet with loads of spices. It really takes the flavour really well. So we've got a couple of those. Um yeah, and then uh Herrera soup. So that was something I hadn't made that much before. And um, that became my daughter's like favorite meal. So it's a Moroccan Herrera, which is like a rental soup. And I think that's a good example of like something that doesn't need to be adapted. It just it can it be just vegan, yeah. But it's really hearty, it's a proper good meal. Yeah, really yeah. perfect. Yeah, that too. Well, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Coming here to talk with the Mildred's Easy Vegan. It is World Vegan Month. Yeah, we can't. We're a bit late, but uh, <laughs> we got here eventually. We'll be having more vegan conversations in January. So obviously, January is a big time of the year. So we'll probably try and share some of the recipes. I can't promise yeah. you how to cook them this week. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm going to do this week. But I hope you will try and cook some and showcase some of the amazing recipes from this book. I want my eye on me buttermilk pancakes. That's a solid. Yeah, that's that that Because like, I looked at it and I was like, buttermilk. Yeah. No. <laughs> Which 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 animal was milked? Which animal was milked here? This milk. Which nut was milked here? 
So now I've got my own. And I think there's a dessert in there as well that we'll get stuck into. So thank you so much for joining us. You can you can purchase Mildred's Easy Vegan and we'll leave a link in the show notes and it's available at all your favourite local bookstores. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I am. Catch you in the next one, guys. Bye. 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 <laughs> <laughs> That's my favourite, isn't it?